Father, you are everything. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Lord, I want to lift up these children as they go down, that they can hear your word and that they can come to a saving grace. I pray for the adults that are leading, that you would give them the the power and the spirit to, to share your word. Lord, as we go through this message, let us put ourselves second and you first. Let your words speak loudly and let mine be quiet. I thank you for the hearts of the people in this room and I, and I lift them and give them to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I start to preach this message, I want you to know that I, that I preach this message to myself as much as I preach it to you. And, and often I do that when I, when I put together a sermon. I put together the thoughts that are going through my head and, and what is God trying to tell myself, not only you guys. And right now we're in Hebrews 12 and we're at the start, verse 1. And while you guys turn there, I want to read it for you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of your Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have endured. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father has not disciplined? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And as we look at this chapter, we see this word therefore, and any time we see the word therefore, we must go back and see what it's there for. Verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, do we ever stop and actually think what this is saying? It's not saying that we are surrounded by a crowd like it's the Super Bowl and they're looking down at us, making sure that we're doing the right thing, making sure that we're not sinning, but we're doing what God is calling us. No, it's not saying this. This word doesn't mean a spectator. This word actually means martyr in the Greek. And every one of us knows what martyr is. It's a person that gives up their life for their faith. But, it, but at this time, this word didn't have that meaning. It, it meant somebody's testimony, somebody's witness. And I'd venture to say that anybody that has died for their faith has shown that witness or that testimony. 
And if we're to understand what is going on in Hebrews 12, we must look back to Hebrews 11. We've been going through it for like three weeks now in, in this hall of faith. These people, they had faith. Each and every one was a witness of what God was doing in their life and what God was going to do in a future time. God was working miracles in their lives. Have you ever stopped and thought about the miracle of salvation? We literally give up ourselves and we give it to God. Chapter 11 is so powerful. These, these witnesses by their faith. These people, they're on this spiritual journey. And you, you in this room are tied to these people in some way. They let this spiritual aspect of their lives drive who they were in Christ. I'd venture to say that you would not be the person you are today without them. I don't even know if this church would be sitting here. I don't even know if this town would be here. I don't even know if this nation would be here without these witnesses. We look at them by faith. Even without the law, Abel, he understood. He understood his need for atonement. Enoch, this guy had so much faith. God was like, come out up here. He had a faith that pleased God. By faith, Noah builds a massive boat with no water anywhere. You're great, 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 great to the umpteenth degree. Grandfather was Noah. Man, you have a famous person in your background. By faith, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers. By faith, Moses leads them just to the promised land, but not in. By faith, Joshua... He knew that the walls in Jericho would fall down. By faith, Rahab, a Gentile, a prostitute, is in the lineage of Christ. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, none of them perfect. But all have faith. Faith in a, in a God that transforms lives. And they are witnesses over and over again of God's powerful work in their life. And it doesn't stop there. And I understand contextually, right, it's only going back to chapter 11, but it goes so much past that. They give way to this New Testament, the apostles Peter, James, and John, the apostle Paul. Every one of them, your spiritual brothers. You, this church, every Bible-believing church can trace their lineage back to these people. And I get it, the Bible is written. The Bible is done. It is finished. But each of us, each of us in this room have our own story that God has laid out. This plan that God has laid out for your life. And He chooses to work out that plan in you. A mighty plan. A witness to Jesus. This group of people that we're about to talk about, they, they see the saving grace on the cross, but they also are working towards a Jesus that is alive and well. The early Christians like Ignatius or Polycarp or, or Justin Martyr. And just a few years later, we had St. Augustine or, or John Chrysostom. One of my favorite, his, his name was the Golden Tongue. There are so many that are in our spiritual family that we don't even know about. Thousands of men and women who kept the faith, who, who witnessed Christ's work in their lives. Who suffered for Christ and will spend eternity with Him. 
There's even more. Aquinas in the 13th century. I could name more. What about John Wycliffe? You read your Bible in English because this man took the calling of God and wrote it in English. And then one of my favorite, John Huss, is inspired by Wycliffe. This man is burning at the stake because he chose to speak in his native Czech tongue. And this man was a person of the Word. While he's burning at the stake, he's reciting the Lord's Prayer and asking for mercy on the people who are burning him. Martin Luther, Swingley, Knox, Munzer, others like John Edwards, Mother Teresa, even Edward Kimball, Dwight Moody, Wilbur Chapman, Billy Sunday, Mordecai Ham, Billy Graham, and Pastor Bill's brother David. My great-great-grandmother, my great-grandmother, my grandmother, my mom, my dad, Pastor Zach. Every one of us has a story, a spiritual journey, a witness to Christ. And God, by faith, He uses people like you and I who can attest to Christ's work in our lives, the changes that He's done in each of our lives. And if all these people I talk about if all these people that I talk about can strive to live a life, all those sinners saved by grace, but every one of them is focused on this race that's in front of them, then why can't we? Our God, He does not expect us to do it alone. Man, I read Hebrews 12, and I, and I don't know if Paul writes it, but it seems like Paul is, is saying these words. That's why maybe I think it's Barnabas. His language is laced throughout Hebrews 12. But I do know that the common denominator is the Holy Spirit and He really wants us to get this message today. And Paul, he's, he's obviously a sports fan. Maybe even the Holy Spirit for that matter. I mean, somebody had to give us these activities and these sports, these things that, that train us how to have discipline. Although I'm pretty sure if, if Paul was alive today, I think he'd be a Bronco fan. Hey, it's my sermon. I get it. But. And he'd be talking about football instead of comparing things to running. And these are my words, not the Bible, but you guys understand. Sports are such a, a great example of comparing this walk, this race that we have to what we experience in sports. And when I coach, I, I like to relate this in three ways. I like to relate it to my players and, and relate it to the success that others have had. I like to relate it to the success that they've had. And then an even greater success, something greater than themselves. Maybe it's the team. Maybe it's this desire to be great someday like a professional athlete. And let me explain. This first part we always address. We do not have to live this Christian life on our own. We have all these past believers to model our lives after. And it wasn't just those past. Everybody in this room, all working together, loving one another, living life together. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The second part. 
So many of us have seen success. Each one of us at some point in our life made a decision to do the right thing, to not sin, to take on this this race, this challenge of Christianity. So many have seen some success. And I get this race is not easy. Sin is like a weight. I often tell my baseball players to drop the piano and I get it, they're just slow, but but you get this picture, right? When we have something dragging us back, it makes it harder to finish the race. This baggage holds us back. And Ed McCaffrey is one of my favorite players of all time. This guy used to cut out every piece of weight on his uniform. He didn't even wear pads. He'd wear the smallest shoulder pads that he could find. He wanted to get rid of all the extra weight so that he could run the race and compete at a higher level. Man, this race that we have is so difficult. And we make it more difficult when we put this extra weight on it. Nobody... Probably nobody's going to run a marathon anyways, but nobody is going to run a marathon with a 20-pound backpack if you plan on winning. And I love what Paul says in in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, 24 through 27. Do you know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the price? So run that you may obtain it. Man, me and Paul would have got along. I really like to win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I find myself disqualified. You see, this one time, I remember, I was running in a Shane Shadow memorial run. It was one of the first ones that I ever ran. And I, I get up to the starting line and I'm, I'm getting ready to go. And all of a sudden this kid comes up to me and mind it's August, right? And he's in jeans. He's got basketball sneakers on and he's got a long sleeve shirt. And I'm looking at this kid and the gun goes off and he takes off with a sprint. I mean, he's going a thousand miles an hour and he is just going as hard as he can. And about a quarter mile up there, he is hunched over and he's breathing and gasping for air. And I go running by him, and I've got a good pace. I've got a plan. And I get by him, and it isn't too long later. All of a sudden, this flash, you know, this uh, jeans come flying by me, and I look at him, and I'm like, oh, man, you're in trouble. (laughs) I'm telling you, not even 100 meters down the way, he is hunched over, and he can't finish the race. And we come back, and I see him, and he's struggling just to walk. I see So often we lose focus of our goal to finish the race, let alone win it. And some of us, we have longer races than others, but the finish line, the finish line matters. And we need a strategy. Maybe some of us don't have a lot of time left. Maybe we need to sprint to the finish line. Others, they need to pace themselves. I ask, do we have a plan? Better yet, are you searching for God's plan? It takes a consistent effort to complete the race. God has laid out that race before your parents, before their parents, before even Adam and Eve were even born. God is sovereign and He has a plan in your life and He knows everything. 
Besides that, man, if you go out sprinting and you go past what you can handle, you're going to get tired and it makes it more of a chance that you're going to stop and not finish the race. I look out in this room and the, the greatest witnesses that I've ever seen day in and day out, they travel this path that they can withstand. And I get it, some are faster than others. But they plug away each day, focusing on what's important, turning away from this weight of sin and evil into the one who has given us the race in the first place. And we have purpose and life because of Jesus' work on the cross. This justification is just the start of the race. This salvation coming to Christ. And he asks us, don't look back. Don't look back at death, but look to life. Look what's right in front of you. And Jesus is right there in front of us. Each day, learn a bit, a little bit. Each day, read a little bit. Each day, speak about Jesus on a greater level, growing in our understanding of who Jesus is and how it applies to the life that He laid out for each and every one of you. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, which leads us to this third part. The most important part, and I know this analogy breaks down a little bit because we are not perfect. But there are basketball players and then there's Michael Jordan. And on a much grander scale, there are witnesses and then there is Jesus. And He is the one that we must focus on. He is the one that we must practice being like. He is the one that should drive our lives. Pastor Bill, he said it the other day, is our spiritual self driving our physical self forward? Or does our physical needs try to pull our spiritual self along? When we focus on Jesus, our physical self has no choice but to follow along on the ride. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our faith, our focus, our witness is based on the perfect one. Our faith is really not ours, it is His. And how selfless was Jesus? Does our faith display our witness? And Jesus will not let you fail. Even when life is difficult and you're battling the most daunting tasks. He will not let you fail. I love what Psalm 16, 8-10 says. He says that I have set the Lord before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let the Holy One be corrupt. How many of us consider it peace or joy when we suffer? Romans 5, 1-5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we started the race, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Jesus. It says in the Scripture that He didn't want to endure the cross. Luke twenty two forty four. 44, He's in agony. And it says, And being in agony, He prayed more earnestly, and His sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the, gr- to the ground. Jesus is sweating blood. And I'm here to tell you, at the point of sweating blood, there is a whole new level of stress and anxiety. If you think that you have anxiety because your husband forgets to tell you what is going on and messes up your schedule, completely hypothetical, I know nothing about this other than every week. Especially this week. Just think about this. A few verses earlier in Luke, Jesus is proclaiming to God. He's pleading with God. He says, God, if there is, if there is any way, take this cup from me. But there wasn't another way. He's the truth. He's the life and he's the way. But Jesus, he sees this joy in what's about to come because he understands the ramification of his dying on the cross. And I'm going to give you an example, and I know nothing about it. Other than it really hurts when my wife is squeezing my hand, ladies. But it hurts nothing. Like the pain that goes through a woman's mind and through her body as she's having a child. And any one of you that's had more than one, and even those that have had it and even thought about having another one, you understand the pain and the suffering that goes when you have a child, but the joy that comes at the end. You see, Christ, His death and resurrection literally brings life to those that are dead. Despite everything, All the shame of being on the cross. Christ has joy. He has glory. And He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And as we walk through this life, as we begin to jog through this life, as we begin to run through this life, this life with Jesus, we have hope. Because Jesus has taken it all. He has endured it all. He has been tempted. And He carried the weight of all our sin. And why would He do this for His glory? We, as a church, first and foremost, want to be a church that gives God glory in everything that we do. Let's look at verse 3. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Faint-hearted here does not quite capture the essence of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. He's saying, so that you may not grow weary in your soul. The word is psyche in the Greek. We we understand that's this this inner self, our being, the life force of all mankind. Our heart, our soul. And the same word is used in Matthew when addressing Jesus' agony in the garden. Matthew 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul or my psyche is very sorrowful even to death. 
Remain here and watch me. So we know that sorrow is not a sin. But like me, when it goes to the self-pity that I experienced all week, and I do it all the time, all these things in our life, all these troubles in our marriage, troubles with our jobs, our health, our children, Jesus is saying, I endured it all. Jesus is saying that my soul has ached. Jesus is saying that I hung on a cross. What about you? Some of us have experienced so many things. But did you get in a fight with your wife like I did this week? Did you lose your job? All stressful, sorrowful things. But how crazy does it sound when we compare it to the weariness of going through things that are life and death. And sometimes we're too stubborn to even ask for forgiveness, to even give forgiveness. And this is all free, but but why can we not forgive? You want to fix your marriages? Forgive one another. Forgive each other in everything that we do. And focus on Jesus. Sometimes we worry about all these other things, these policies and these procedures and all these things that we worry about. And what we should be worrying about is what would Jesus do? I know it's a cliche. I ask, are we passionately in love with Jesus? Are we passionately in love with people? Because if we are, then we're living a life devoted to Christ. What does that mean? Look at four. In your struggles against sin, you have yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. Jesus has taken it all. And Jesus understands what you're going through. He understands your troubles. Don't ever think that He doesn't try Him. Do you think you have it bad? Man, carry the weight of the world on a cross, beaten and battered, and Jesus has done it. He doesn't promise us a perfect life. He doesn't promise us easy lives. He promises us Himself. Man, He promises us tribulations, trials, discipline. But at the end comes joy. If we read this Word, we'll see what God tells us. Verse 5, he reminds us, Have you forgotten that exhortation addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. I'm telling you, if we lose this Word, we will lose our encouragement. The Word of God disciplines us. It reproves us. It teaches us. It comforts us. It should bring us joy. And it should also scare the daylights out of us if we're not following what it says. says that we will be disciplined. We all know as parents, at least the good ones, that we must train and discipline our children. We must allow ourselves to be disciplined so that we can have an action when we're doing it with them. More is caught than taught. And each one of our kids, they don't come with a manual Every one of them is a different model. But I can promise you this. Every one of them needs discipline. And you need discipline. In every part of our life, just getting up out of bed takes discipline. 
We're not even talking about eating right or, or working out or reading our Bible, right? Those are all things. Just getting out of the shower takes discipline for me. Discipline is so necessary. And God, He understands this. And when it comes to our children, man, I'm talking about training them, disciplining them so they can have success in life. If we are to be people of the Word, then we must read and understand that we should not be praying for ease of life. We should not be praying for no struggles because in the struggles is the joy at the end. In the struggles are the opportunities. Six, for the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Are you loved? This word chastise today means to rebuke or reprimand, but at one time it meant to whip or to flog. Man, so many of us, we want to go through life without punishment, without pain. Someday it will. But that's for a time that doesn't have sin. As long as we are in this world with sin, we will learn in this way through discipline. And every one of us, every one of us learns a different way. Some, it just takes a time out, maybe a swat on the tush, maybe a harsh word. Others, it takes a little bit more persuasion. Some of us, it takes a two by four. Guilty. Verse 7 and 8, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Man, our kids are growing up in a world where we hear slogans like, I am good enough, I am smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. We're growing up in a world where nobody strikes out. There's no punishment. Just do what you want to do and everything will be just fine. People may like you. But what is your relationship with God going to be like? When you have no idea of your faults and your sins, then we have no idea of the power of the Savior. You see, when our marriage It's broken and we have no idea how we're to make the next day. That is when God intervenes and we can see His work in our lives. Man, who do we need if our life does not have sins or failures? We look at our children and and how do we train them? And we don't train them to handle things, right? We train them to walk on this easy path. There's no little rocks to deal with, no little cactus, no little jumps. And all of a sudden, we get to where we're an adult. And these things that happen in life, these huge problems, these predators, and I'm not talking about lions and tigers, I'm talking about the world. These huge gaps and these waterfalls and all these things that we face in life and we're not prepared because we weren't disciplined. God, He does the same. He's preparing us to to live this life. And even illegitimate children everywhere. You look at them and they, they would love to have that discipline from a parent. A parent that loves them enough to actually discipline them. To train them up the way a child would go. 
And yet I look out at the church and I see a church that only prays for a good day, safety, and comfort. And I say, give me trials, give me tribulation, and give me Jesus. Do we embrace the fact that we have a God who is willing to discipline us and train us up the way that we should go? Man, what is the definition of being alive? And I say, maybe it's hanging on for dear life. Maybe it's a series of growing pains and pleasures. And I was listening to John Piper, and he, he has this sermon. It's called Don't Waste Your Life, and I recommend everybody listens to it. If you put it on Google and it comes up on YouTube, it's an outdoor setting, and it looks like it's from 1970s, but I don't know when it is. But he starts, and he's talking, and he tells this story about these two ladies, this nurse and this doctor, and these ladies are 80 years old. And they're in Cameroon and they're going village to village. And they're giving health care. And providing for people in the name of Jesus. Devoted to Christ. And all of a sudden the brakes go out on their car. They go over a cliff and they die. And he asks, is this a tragedy? And then he goes to this other article about a couple who retired early at 59 and 51 and they live in Florida and they travel in an RV and they play softball and collect shells. And he asks, is this a tragedy? You see, the second one, this, this tells us what life is about. This means that we're alive and I say this is death. This is tragedy. This is a life without growth, without difficulty and life where we collect shells. Can you imagine going to Jesus and showing him your shell collection? I don't want to show Jesus my shell collection. I ask, are we truly joyful that we have a Father who disciplines us and expects so much more continually to live this life that Jesus has set out for us? To continually grow and, and He challenges us to be more and more like Jesus. God, He knows that we need practice to grow, to be closer like Him. And everything in life involves setbacks and tribulations, but the joy is at the end. Think about a time in your life when you struggled and when you finally succeeded at the joy that came from it. Maybe it's in your work. Maybe it's finally getting your children to obey. If you figured that one out, let me know. I ask as a church that we be consistent. We keep working towards this goal, this race, one step at a time. Every baby step, not easy. Some hard, some difficult, leading to this, this finish line. You see, our God is an amazing dad, and he loves each and every one of us. And the best coaches, the best fathers are the ones we respect. There's the ones, those are the ones that demanded discipline. They expected more from us because they knew how much we were capable of. They don't expect you to just be in the race, but to finish the race. And our God, our God is no different. Verse 9, besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? I remember at 25, seeing my parents and all of a sudden they started to make sense. It was like they got smarter overnight. And I'm telling you that our Father in Heaven is infinitely smarter than our earthly parents. Our life is a mess if we are not disciplined. 
And we can pay for it now or we can pay for it later. There is life and there is death. And ultimately, life comes through Jesus. Verse 10 and 11, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them. But He, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine traveling around, picking up seashells all my life, living a life of comfort and ease. We become complacent and useless. We become stagnant and we regress. We don't grow in anything. You see, the race is meant to to look forward, to keep moving in this right direction, not sprinting because we can't maintain it, but taking one step at a time. Each day moving a fraction closer. Each day this side of heaven growing to be more like Jesus. And I look out at you and I so desperately want to be 80 someday and be like Chuck Swindoll teaching and calling myself out from the pulpit. Because I don't preach to just you. I preach to myself I preach because Jesus wants me to and because I'm struggling and wrestling every day with my own existence and what God's plan is for my life, the race that He has laid out for me. I preach what I need to hear and hope that the Holy Spirit is using my thoughts to drive you forward towards this finish line. Man, we don't get to retire from this race. We have to finish. We don't get to stop living a life devoted to Christ we might as well get used to it. We have an eternity. I'm going to close with Scripture from Philippians. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God through Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if it's anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for the trials and the tribulations. I thank you for the difficulties and the hard times. I thank you for the bumps and the roads and the boulders and the cactus. I thank you for the fights with my wife. I thank you for the the troubles in my job. I thank you for the trials my own life. Lord, I ask that as we leave this place, we can have joy in understanding that your son who died on the cross for us, and it brought him joy. Joy that he would be glorified someday and joy that he could allow us to come into his kingdom and that we could follow this path and this race and that we could endure because of him and not because of us. And that that we would lean more on Him and less on us. Lord, as we go through this day, let us love You more. Let us lean on You. 
Give us trials and tribulations and give us Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.